0: Four. This is the alternate shot golf podcast we are recording from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. This is episode number two. We are the San Francisco Golf Collective. I am Greg Moraz. Across from me are my co-hosts, Mike Finn and Andy Smothers. We thank all of you that listened to our debut episode, which is now about two weeks old. We were recapping the United States Open, and we hope that you enjoyed the show. Want to give you a couple of reminders and instructions. Make sure that you subscribe to the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. Make sure you also write a review, leave a rating, and just tell your friends about it because we've got a lot that we are going to cover over the next couple of weeks. But this week, we are really excited because, gentlemen, we're talking about the oldest golf tournament currently known to man and maybe known to monkeys, the Open Championship. It was first played in the year 1860 across the pond in either England or Scotland. And I'll say that for me, this is going to be one of the more special Open Championships because unlike the Masters, the U.S. Open, and the PGA Championship, which found a way to play during COVID, the Open Championship just said, we're not doing this this year. It's not right. It's not safe. And so for the first time since 2019, when it was contested in Northern Ireland, the first time it had been contested in Northern Ireland since 1949, they're coming back to the mainland of the British Isles, Playing at Royal St. George's. Fellas. This is going to be a really special tournament. And. For only the second time. In history. It is going to be. What we now will consider to be. Glory's last shot.
1: Yeah. it's. Uh, I was just re- doing a little reading before. Um, I know NBC is back on the coverage. Uh, this year. Um, but I did see that there's going to be. a li- It's going to be a little different. I think than years past. Um, typically. It sounds like they've got about 250 people that they send over there um, and they all, you know, they're broadcasting live. Um, they're sending only 24 people there uh, from the Golf Channel. So you're going to have, you know, all the guys in the booth actually broadcasting from Connecticut, uh, but you'll still have Bones, Nota Begay, um, you know, the usuals out on the course. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know how that's going to uh, affect kind of the viewership standpoint. But-
2: Are we going to see Mike Tirico?
0: That's. I think he's ESPN. Is ESPN going to be... No, he's NBC. He switched over to NBC a couple of years ago. We okay. also have to remember, fellas, that NBC is going to be ramping up for the Olympics. So, as unfortunate as it is this year, the Open Championship is not going to be as big of a focus as it's been in years past, at least from the broadcast perspective. But I still think that it's significant because... It's the first time that NBC has had the Open Championship in quite some time because it's been either ABC or ESPN for at least as long as I can remember and the fact that we haven't had an Open Championship in two years, unlike the Masters where we had two iterations of the tournament in under 12 calendar months.
1: It's got to be – I mean, I think it's probably – the championship I look forward to most, um just because you've got golf on what seems like all day long. Me too, um,
2: Mike. Secretly, it's my favorite major.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think we always say, you know, the, we want to win the Masters growing up, or oh, the, the U.S. Open. But I mean, you're waking up at, you know, you're going to sleep watching the Masters, and you're wait or the British, and you're waking up watching the British.
2: If you are champion golfer of the year, you're a god forever. If you go to the UK,
1: it's, I mean, the oldest championship in golf history the like, most
2: knowledgeable <laughs> golf uh, population i totally. would say as well
1: they're the most respectful fans i feel like you know you don't have people yelling mashed potatoes and you know maybe you might have a naked lady running across the a green couple nudists, kiss, kiss tiger, a couple but, nudists i'd say a couple nudists <laughs> um but i don't know I, I think you've got people that are just fully in love with the game um it's you see the most different types of shots different weather you see sun one minute rain the next it's um, different. Yeah, totally. And that's
2: what I really like about it is that it's different. You know, totally. we have some Lynx courses over here, but we don't have a lot. I know there's Chambers Bay comes to mind, hosted the US Open. Um, Bandon Dunes has a few Lynx courses, and there, there's more out there. But just to see a different style of golf, you know, American golf is bomb it. Target golf, hit it, watch it fly this is different. You know, you can actually putt the ball from 80 yards out and probably have a better shot in some situations than pitching the ball.
1: Totally. There was videos. I think, uh, I was watching some of the replay from, uh, 2011 and, you know, part of it was like, you know, Tom Lewis in the first group or first round with Tom Watson, uh, and Tom Watson, they're showing videos of him putting from like 40 yards short of the green. And I mean, I think Tom Watson, you could arguably say is probably one of the best British open players of all time. Hands down. Um, I mean, there's names that you can go through. Some of them we've probably, or I mean, a lot of our viewers maybe, if you're a casual fan, you've probably never
2: even heard of these guys. We don't
1: have
0: viewers. We're a podcast. Ah, you
1: know what I meant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, to speak to your to your point about putting from 40 yards out, so my grandfather played St. Andrews, and this is an anecdotal story that, you know, I, I wasn't there, but he had a caddy. He had two caddies, actually. He had an A caddy and a B caddy, and he's sitting out, and I forget what Hoy's telling me, but he's about 80 yards out, and he hands him a putter, and he goes, what are you talking about? What do you mean putter? He goes, you get no medals for putting the ball in the air here. So really to your point, I mean, you can putt it anywhere. I mean, it's completely different style of golf.
1: Totally. I mean, you got guys I I'm looking forward to, you know, I was watching it and I think Ricky Fowler was pretty relevant in 2011. Um, Great British open. We haven't seen him doing a whole lot lately. Um, saw his name, maybe briefly show up in the leaderboard last week, but I think, you know, he's a guy that's Pretty creative with the ball. Uh, he always seems to play well, you know, in the worst weather. Got um, kind of an old school feel. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's I'm I'm looking forward to it a lot. Um, you get crazy storylines, you know. Like I was saying, Tom Lewis and 11. He was the uh, 20 years old tied for the lead after the first round, youngest player at, to ever uh, be tied for the lead, uh, I believe after the first round. How old was he? Uh, 20 years old at the time, and that was the same year actually. Tom Watson, two years after he had uh, lost to Stewart Sink. Um, and he made the cut this year in 2011. He was the oldest player to make the cut.
2: Well, speaking of young golfers and major championships, the young Tom Morris is still, to this day, the youngest major championship winner ever when he beat his father by three strokes. He was the age of uh, 17. Uh, Pretty crazy stuff there.
0: Can I bring something up, though, at least on the Tom Morris front, and I know this isn't directly related. Do you guys remember the graphic that they showed on the PGA Championship broadcast? when Phil was about to win, about the oldest major winners. They had Jack when he won. They had Julius Boros when he won. They had Phil present day. But then they also had old Tom Morris – but he was listed as 47, and it was the bearded picture of him with the pocket watch. And he looked like he was about 75 years old. I'm like, yep. that's not 47, fellas. So
2: that's funny. I was looking at a picture of the, the Morris uh, father-son duo, and I was like, are those grizzly bears in suits? <laughs>
0: that's how they played golf
1: back then. I mean, that's the, the cool part. You go over there, and these guys, you know, they got the old hickory sticks. You know,
0: they're wearing suits. They got ties They old hats on. I mean— they're classing it up a little bit. You, I think, <laughs> would be a great side tournament. You know how people do like those tournaments, like Dave versus everybody. Uh-huh. I think it would be great to have a suit and tie tournament. You play an 18-hole stroke play tournament. Everybody has to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> full shirt, full suit. Modern clubs or old hickories?
2: Ryan Moore, a prohibitive favorite out the gate.
0: <laughs> Ryan Moore? I'm not gonna say that you. <laughs> punish, I'm not gonna say that you punish everybody by having them use equipment from the 1900s. Yeah. So I think we can go with modern equipment here. But think about it. Like we all wear these dry fit shirts. We wear these polyester shirts nowadays. Stuff that's
2: really easy to move in. My socks are golf specific.
0: Yeah,
1: that's true. I mean, they've
0: even got like caddies wear certain socks. You know, shout out Kentwell, right? Um, hey I mean, if you want to play an early morning round and you got a meeting afterward at work you don't have to change
1: yeah yeah you know i mean what, where are you going to wear that i mean there's only certain parts of the country probably around here uh where you could actually get away with wearing those clothes i like that i'm totally idea. fine with it i mean
0: <laughs> like you were i've been known
2: to rock the knickers on the golf course so i'm 100 down with that
0: yeah he's clean That'll, also known as the plus fours ah yes but as we get more specifically into the open championship itself this is one of three golf courses in Royal St. George's that is in the Open Rota. The other two are Royal Liverpool, otherwise known as Hoylake, where Tiger obliterated the field in 2006, and Royal Lytham and St. Anne's, where it was last played at, you know what, I'm a complete moron. There are four British courses in the Rota, because I forgot about Royal Birkdale, so we have... Royal St. George's, Royal Birkdale, which is where they played it in 2017 when Jordan Spieth won his Open. Royal Lytham and St. Anne's last played in 2012 where Ernie Ells won it. And then Royal Liverpool last played in 2014. That's where Rory McIlroy won his. So the English courses have had some significant winners. The last Open Championship... At St. George's was in 2011, and it was won by Northern Ireland's Darren Clark. And I remember that he was in a pretty—who was he dueling with in that tournament?
2: Phil had an incredible Uh, back DJ
0: DJ was the guy. So, DJ, that's the
1: beginning of kind of when we start to really knew who DJ was, Um, you know, going back a year prior, 2010. This was the third—so, sorry, you look at that year's British. This was the third time he was in the final group. In a major, and 2010 Pebble Beach. You know that was
2: was this before or after Paulina?
1: <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Maybe you know who knows what turned you know. I was just in <laughs> Chicago.
0: They actually there's a uh, a neighborhood around there. They call it Paulina. It looks like Paulina, but they they call it Paulina for some reason.
2: Hey, you know. Hey, speaking of names, you know what Royal Saint George is held in Sandwich, England. Don't make me hungry, Smothers. It actually is the birthplace. Mm. Of the, s- the word sandwich. Like, it's not a coincidence. You think they, uh, DJ, you know, think they've got a good, uh, what's the cheese? Is the sandwich that
1: he wanted to put on the champion's menu? The uh, pimento cheese? You That's a South Carolina <laughs>
0: thing. That's not something that you'd necessarily bring across the pond. But, but Royal yeah, St. George's is the first English course to host an open championship. The first 12 opens Prestwick. were hosted all at Prestwick in Scotland. The first time that the Open was held away from Prestwick was at the old course at St. Andrews in 1893, won by Tom Kidd. And by the way, Musselboro Lynx, which held the Open in 1874, I just love this guy's name. Mungo Park won the Open Championship Mungo. in 1874.
2: Speaking of great names, 1921, first American based winner jock hutchinson jock i'm swooning right now just reading that name what year was that 1921 and i looked up a picture of him dude is mid-swing with a cigarette in his mouth one of the coolest photos i've ever seen Wait, i think it's rock american? hudson first american based first oh, okay. american born next year walter Hagen. there you go good but check up uh, jock hutchinson Jack man hutchinson. it is pretty baller okay. this i'm writing this down right now. i think I he's smoking a clove i'm not sure but i'm sure <laughs> it is
1: uh, but yeah, I'll go through just a name. I, I found a little list earlier of the top 10. I know I kind of briefly touched on it um, a few minutes ago, but the top 10 all-time British Open players, I believe it was according to Bleacher Report. Um, I'll start at 10, and I'll just w- work our way up to one pretty quickly. Um, but I think you'll be surprised of a couple of these names. And the others, you know, we all are going to know them. But in um, a couple, we've already touched on. So 10, Walter Hagen. And... Uh, He won it four times 22, 24, 28, and 29. Jack Nicholas at nine. So, to give you an idea of how strong this list is, if Jack Nicholas is listed at nine. Um, And fun fact seven of Jack Nicholas's 19 second place finishes in a major were all the British. So, uh, the dude played well there. Um, He won it three times. Old Tom Morris, we talked about him, he won it four times. Uh, Sevi Ballesteros, you know, I think he's probably one of the most popular, you know, Spanish born players ever. And you know, talk about someone who's perfect for the British. The guy's got creativity, imagination, every shot. I mean, ah, oh, man, who, who is this like the current Sevi? I mean, we can we can talk about Bubba. That I mean, if you're just pits. talking about imagination <laughs>
2: and just painting, you know, I'd say it's probably Bubba, just the way he plays the golf course. Now, he doesn't do great in the British necessarily, but I'd say his style of play. Uh, is very similar. And and to your point, and I was thinking about this as well, is that a lot, when you look at the British, a lot of these guys are repeat winners, right? When you yep. look at a U.S. Open, you know, you don't see guys winning three, four totally. times. Um, so it really is, I think, about the imagination, the style of play.
1: Totally. You go through some of these names, and like these guys go on runs uh, that, you know, it's very quick hitting. They win their Britishes, and they kind of, they get out of there. So the next one lists Bobby Jones, won it 26, 27, 1930, which is the year of his Grand Slam. Uh, so, I mean, you've got three in a five-year stretch there. Uh, James Braid, that's probably the first name on there that I don't know how many people are really going to know that guy.
2: Formerly won at St. George's.
1: Okay, there we go. So, hopefully we'll be seeing a little bit more of him this week. Uh, he won in 1901, 05, 06, 08, and 10. I mean, this guy was all over the place for an entire decade there.
2: Well, the Scots dominated, so you actually have 30 years of Scottish winners. 1860, the first British, the first uh, first British Open. First British winner, John Ball, 1890. So you have 30 straight years of Scots winning the Open. Yeah,
0: I mean, birthplace of golf, right? But the greatest Open winner of all time, Harry Varden, yep. who technically he, he's on this is list. not from England. He is considered British, but he is from the Isle of Jersey, which at the time... Was not incorporated as a part of what we now know as the United Kingdom, so he's not technically English. Is he By the a way,
2: Jerseyan.
0: Yes, greatest game ever played. The movie with Francis Wimette. Yeah, unbelievable about the 1912, movie. 1912. is it was 12 or 13? 1911,
2: I believe, at Brooklyn. Yeah.
0: 1913. Uh, it was, I think it was 13, 12. I think it was. Think 12,
2: think. Tw- yeah, it was either it was 12, 12 or 13. Or 13. Greatest now, movie ever made.
0: I wouldn't go that far.
2: (laughs) Greatest movie ever made.
0: Some people I I will say that while a lot of the focus on that movie is on Francis Wimette and his story, I actually think that they do a great job of giving Harry Varden's story as well. Because this was a guy that came from a very poor area of the British Isles and basically had his home bought out and his land taken away from his family when he was just a little boy, and he becomes probably the greatest golfer in the history of the United Kingdom up until probably Nick Faldo. I mean, we really don't, I just, off the top of my head, can't think of somebody that has had... He as won much it six, six times. Yeah, he won it in
1: 1896,
0: 1898, 1899, 1903, 1911, and 1914. The man that you mentioned earlier, James Braid, he won it five times. John Henry Taylor five times, yep. Peter Thompson five times. That's a name we don't talk about enough. But more than likely, the you greatest do- American to play on British soil should have won it six times, won it five was tom watson yep
1: you just named all the you completed the list there greg that was perfect
2: (laughs) i stand by my comment as the greatest game ever played is perhaps one of the greatest movies ever made if you're a golf fan shia labeouf is a shining star yeah okay and ted ray by the way (laughs) i had no idea this guy was boxing at night underground great movie is that the check it out British guy check it out if you haven't seen it it is an incredible movie he every gets... time I see a young Francis we may you know get nervous over a four-footer I'm nervous for him I know it goes in but I'm still nervous great so, movie Disney does sports movies good if you like to remember the Titans check it out
0: I will also say this that that movie was based on the book the greatest game ever played it's a true story but the same writer that wrote the greatest game ever played also wrote a fantastic book and this is a And we're Northern Californians. We are the SF Golf Collective here, or so that's what we've decided to call ourselves. The Match is the effective sequel to the greatest game ever played, and the reason why Why is that— I haven't heard a movie about that yet. There's not—there should be a movie about that, but for those of you that don't know—
1: We need to get Matt Kennedy on that. Matt Kennedy, I believe, uh, you know— Golf movie guy around here locally. We'll, we'll get on him.
0: Eddie Lowry, who you all remember if you've seen that movie, He's as standing right next to the little side kid. here. <laughs> he is a car dealer based in San Jose yeah. that is financing amateurs to play in high-level tournaments. Two of his amateurs were Kevin Venturi and Harvey Ward, who were known as two of the best amateurs of the 1950s and 60s, and they end up playing a secret match at Cypress Point against Byron Nelson and Ben Hogan. And the Did book, they win?
2: Who won, the amateurs or the pros?
0: I actually can't
1: remember. I think it came down to the end, and the pros ended up still it's like people were saying that's
0: the best golf they've ever witnessed
2: 64 for everyone everyone like people. the worst score was 64
0: yeah unbelievable the book though does a great job of tying the biographical stories of all four of them together yeah I just, which i mean i think i kind
1: of read that and it's kind of a similar i feel like it, it kind of gives off that british open vibe you you know the the rumors start slowly spreading around the peninsula this match is going on and only, you're only going to be going out there if you're, you know, the purest golf fan out See, there. Seaside and, golf course. Yeah. It's, and you're out there. It's the crowd. just very knowledgeable, I'm sure. Pe- people are just there to watch incredible golf. You know, you're witnessing history there and you know that's kind of what happens at the British, I feel like, every year.
2: Before we get off history, I do want to mention one thing and preparing for this episode that I had no idea existed, and that's the challenger's belt. It was uh. the initial trophy given to the champion golfer of the year. And to put it in your mind, it is a WWF style belt. It is so gaudy, so amazing. I need five of them yesterday. Uh, I I don't know why. Golf tournaments don't have these belts. This is incredible. Can you imagine the do you tradition know what happened of to it? What happened? Actually, to it? so there was a rule that said, okay, it goes. You know, it's like normal trophies. It goes back to the host, and and then the, the winner next year will hold it, right, for a year. There was a weird caveat where they said if you win it three times, it's yours. And young Tom oh. Morris won it three straight times, got to keep the belt, and the next year they didn't have a trophy, so they didn't even have a tournament in in 1870. <laughs> they didn't know what to do. Uh, so actually, the uh, the claret jug. It, is there know,
1: cell phones. They just, like, text the guy, hey, you got to go prepare one. They had to go, like, send yeah. a carrier pigeon.
2: <laughs> I don't wear jewelry, you know. Uh, it's just not my thing. But I would wear this belt down the street every day and let everyone what know that think I was that champion.
1: Is? I mean, that belt's got to still be around, right? It's got to be in a
2: museum somewhere. It's so cool.
1: Is there, I mean, oh, man. Where I... Hopefully we can start traveling over there again soon. But I mean, it's got to be, like you're saying, some sort of museum. You go see it on a road trip. If if anyone out there knows where it is, please let us know. Please.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, was actually donated by the Earl of Erlington, who had a keen interest in medieval pageantry. And like myself, I'm also into medieval pageantry. So... Very much uh, excited to maybe bring this back. Let's 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 make a movement. Let's let's bring back the belt.
1: Yeah, maybe we uh, maybe the USGA. I think we talked on that last week. Maybe that. They, Unfortunately, that I feel again. like
0: <laughs> if the belt hasn't been mentioned in several years, like I'm a little bit younger than you guys, I've never seen the belt mentioned on a broadcast, which makes me think that it no longer exists, and not not in the sense that as we obviously know, it's not given out anymore, but the actual belt probably was destroyed at some point in the 1930s or 20s so i don't think that the belt i am all for bringing it back i think it is an awesome tradition because people always think that the only thing you the only thing you receive at the masters is a green jacket that's not true you also receive a trophy but we always think of the green jacket you know we talk about the heritage You win the plaid jacket, but you also get a trophy as well. So it could be in addition to the Claret Jug, which, for my money, I would save the major championship trophies, that it is probably the most recognizable, the Claret Jug. Yeah. The Wanamaker Trophy is great. U.S. Open Trophy is very iconic in its look, but I think that when we talk about trophies, the Claret Jug takes the cake it, it travels I think, in thinking you know kind of like a
1: a black big black case that looks like something that a band would be using for their equipment um i remember a story actually i think um you know kip flood you know local guy around here uh his brother is actually caddies uh for podrick harrington uh you know british open legend and himself right winner. there um i think they were leaving downtown san francisco i want to say um i I may need to catch up with kid again, but he had the Claret jug in the back of this taxi and I think he left it there and he had to call the cab driver to like pick it back up or and he, he had to tell him like why he needed it so badly. And, and I don't think the cab driver believed him that the Claret jug was in the back of his trunk. And so he had to like bust it out when he kind of got back around, opened it up, showed it to him. And it's like, I mean, I don't know. That
0: thing is a piece Why of Why is the Open Championship Trophy in San Francisco? That's what I want to know.
1: You know, he's got to stop around. You know, he goes on a world tour, right? I don't know.
0: <laughs> so a couple of things about this tournament in particular when we're talking about as we get down to the nitty-gritty. Royal St. George's has not hosted this tournament since 2011 when Darren Clark won it last. But it's worth noting that the last two winners – relatively off the radar at least the last two winners at St. George's but a couple of things that stand out to me. Number 1, the scores very high. 1 under for Ben Curtis in 2003. That is the highest score for an open championship winner since 1998 when Marco Miro won with a score of even par at Royal Birkdale. Now, it's also worth noting That for an English course, there has not been an English winner on an English Open course since Tony Jacklin in 1969 when he won at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. The last British winner in any Open Championship was Nick Faldo back in 1992. That was at Muirfield. Faldo won three British Opens. Two at Muirfield, one at St. Andrews. And I just got to ask you guys, this is the British Open. It is the home tournament of England, Scotland, and to an extent, Ireland. Now, our last Open winner was an Irishman, Shane Lowry, in Northern Ireland. Isn't technically Ireland. But, of anybody from the Isles, our last winners are... Two Northern Irishmen in Darren Clark, Roy McElroy, Shane Lowry from Ireland, and padrick Harrington in back to back years in 07 and 08. We're talking about just British guys to win it? Or guys but, from the Isles or, area. I see, okay. So don't go.
2: sleep on Paul Casey this year. I really think he's gonna have a shot. I don't know if he's gonna win it. He hasn't got over the hump yet, but he has shown up in majors. He is a Brit. He yeah. was a great iron player. And we know this golf course that only has two par five, so length is not going to be an issue. It's really all about iron play.
1: Yeah, I think it's like we were saying earlier, you know, the British Open brings out random names you'll see on there. And, you know, we, sit, we brought up 2003 Ben Curtis. Uh, we were also talking about Francis We Met. I think I read something that Ben Curtis, that was his first start in a major, and it was the first player since Francis We Met. To win in his first major interesting um but you got guys i read a little interview also uh paul larson he's the head greenskeeper there at royal st george's um this guy looks like he's you know straight out of some 80s hairband um but he gave a great interview just kind of about some of the changes that they've made um this year compared to 2011 and kind of you know some of the prep that they've been doing and then he gave a couple picks about who he liked um so I think Dustin Johnson was another was a name he threw in there. You know, comes down for me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like we were saying, DJ the last time he was here, it was still the, kind of the beginning of his career.
2: He's just not informed. Right
1: maybe now. doesn't really know, didn't know how to handle the pressure quite well. I think he's done a few things since then. I'm not quite sure. Um, but now this guy, Paul Larson, um, you know, he said that they've uh, changed some of the fairways. They've kind of gotten rid of a lot of the humps and bumps that are in the fairways. Um, they've lowered
2: some of the mounds. To make you know a few less blind tee shots. Um, Yeah, no blind tee shots. It actually didn't host a major for almost forty years because the blind tee shot came out. Yeah, so it was the first place out of Scotland to host. Uh, a British Open, and in 38 years, uh, darkness mm-hmm. because the blind tee shot, which was their bread and butter, was not in vogue anymore. So it I'm...
1: looks tough, man. I saw some videos, and it's like oh, I think fourth it's hole the bunker, fourth hole, um, big berth. is one of the you know kind of there were a few holes they highlighted. The fourth hole, it's 496 yard par four, um, with one of the biggest bunkers on the course that kind of sits on the right side of your open. sight line. It's not going to come into play for these guys, but um, I mean. You don't see your landing area. So, I mean, you've got to have a good caddy, knows his lines. you got to know how to play the wind and how to shape the ball, how to spin it because –
0: There's a lot of humpback fairways on this golf course as well. There's a lot of fairways that will carom your ball to one way or another. It kind of doesn't really have a consistent pattern to yeah. it. I remember specifically Darren Clark barely carrying a bunker on one of those par fives back in 2010 and getting, like, a very favorable roll. So. Yeah. Shot placement is going to be critical on this golf course, and I also want to talk about just because we are Americans from the American perspective. This is a tournament, and we think about the modern golfer. We think about the bomb and gouge. Yeah, the last three American winners. All right, I'm even say last four, and these are all of the American winners since Tiger Woods, are not guys that, with the exception of Phil Mickelson are not guys that you would think are going to overpower a golf course. These are finesse shot-making guys. Stewart Sink in 09, not a bomber, a guy that relies on great iron play, accurate driving, and solid short game. Exact same thing to an extreme could be said for Zach Johnson, who won in 2015 at St. Andrews. Jordan Spieth, he's more of the modern golfer than the other guys that we've listed but Jordan Speeth doesn't have the same type of length that the rest of the modern PGA tour has how but he's got an he...
2: old he's got an old school game he's imaginative
1: how long is this golf course it's only like what 72 7300 yards i think or
0: um i mean it doesn't 70, look
2: 7200 par 70 yeah 7200 so and par
0: 70 is a long golf course but yeah. we do have to remember in the style of british golf courses for if the there's people, no wind for the people that are listening that have never been over to the Isles. I haven't, but I consider myself enough of a student of history to understand how golf courses are maintained over there. They don't water golf courses like Mm-mm. they do in the United States. Nope. Your watering over there is the elements.
2: The original greenskeepers were sheep, right?
1: Well, no, so so that was an element that Paul Larson, the guy, talked about. So this was originally, this tournament was supposed to be held last year, right? But because of COVID, it got pushed back a year. In 2018, they had the huge drought. Paul Larson, he he mentioned that they lost 50 to 60% of their fairways. And so you've got now an open, if after that drought, two years out that you got to prepare for, he said that they were in complete scramble mode. Um, Like some of the grass never even came back on some of these greens. They had to completely, you know, change their entire plan. But what did they do? What did they replace it with? They had to actually change the grass. So they've changed the grass a little bit. They got rid of, uh, I'm trying to think, what did he say that he got rid of? Um, But they're basically trying to make it uh, fescue all the way through um, the entire course, which I don't know if that's best for that area. I'm guessing it is. Uh, I know there's a few courses around here, but
0: it's... Fescue grass, we think of fescue as being like really long grass. That's just fescue if you grow it out. Fescue is a type of grass that doesn't need a lot of water in order to grow.
2: Deep roots. So
0: fescue is pretty much a dormant grass that doesn't ever get too green, But it never gets too brown, so it stays a semi-burnt-out color, but it can thrive with minimal water, which is the type of grass that you want on a golf course where you're not going to be watering it every day, if at all.
1: That's what makes it so much fun to watch, right? I mean, you've got, it's all browned out. You don't know the slopes of the fairways. These balls, you've got to control your golf ball out there.
2: It's it's the bump and it's the rub of the green, right? When you're a traditionalist, the rub of the green can either, you know, bite you in the ass or, you know. And who's mentally
1: strong, right? I mean, these guys, those, those winners that you just listed, I mean, those guys are mental very mentally tough guys where maybe like i don't know dj maybe wasn't so so who do we
2: like who do we like who are some of the favorites you guys are are circling right now
1: um so you know a name that again he was there in 11 and he kind of had a resurgence earlier this year lee westwood maybe maybe lee westwood comes back a little bit the guy's looking more fit than ever uh i think he's he just got married recently he's got to be in a pretty good place uh I don't know. Like maybe this first time majors, five to the last six there, I think. That would be first very
2: Darren Clark vibish. kind mean, of an older, hey. <laughs> you know, individual, kinda, you know, it's, it's a sun setting. I, I could see that. Yeah, I like I, it. Yeah, I
0: don't know. I'm I'm rooting for Lee. Let's go Lee. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with Louis Oosthuizen because he's been playing really good golf and he's a very accurate driver of the ball. Gentlemen, I know that the bomb and gouge era is not that recent when we think about the modern golfer, but It's been accentuated since our last Open Championship. And look, for the guys like Bryson DeChambeau that think that they can just bomb it wherever and get away with it, you can't do that here. Because if you do that here, your ball is going to end up in foot-high grass. And I don't care how strong you are or how strong you posture to be. You can't hit the same type of shots out of American style four-inch rough. You got to play that, the ground game that you can do. You can't do that if Tom Watson can what do it at the th- age of what? What do you 62? think the opinion
2: is over over the pond of Bryson? Not I mean, well, not <laughs> yeah. good. Is he a <laughs> boorish American?
0: Ah, oh, man,
1: what a what a piece of work. What I'm
0: saying is is that we have been so accustomed to the farthest golf shots going to put you in the best position to win. That's not the case over there because mm-hmm. I harped on it a lot in our premiere episode about Tory Pines not punishing wayward tee shots. Every golf course over there is going to punish wayward tee shots because the Brits don't give a damn about where you hit your ball if it's not in the fairway. If it's not in the fairway, it doesn't deserve to be rewarded, which is why you look at the list of recent winners. These are all great drivers of the ball. Shane Lowry, Francesco Molinari, Jordan Spieth, Henrik Stenson, Zach Johnson, Rory McIlroy, before he started to get a little bit wild. Phil Mickelson knows how to keep the ball in the fairway when he needs to. Ernie Els was a pretty accurate driver of the golf ball. Darren Clark, Louis Ustazen, <laughs> Stuart Sink, before he decided to alter his swing, Patrick Harrington was a good driver of the golf ball. Tiger Woods realized that all he needed to do was hit Stinger Irons at Hoylake in 2006, and he could do
2: it. So I'm actually going to go a, a little bit against you here. I'm going to say, yeah, driving the ball in the fair was important, but it's really iron play for me. Yeah. That really separates, uh, you know, you look at these past winners, they all are tremendous iron players. And for me, when if I look at someone who, who's going to do well here, I look at a Colin Morikawa, probably the best iron player on the American side. And I here's a sleeper. Uh, uh, Griot. Ma- Miano oh, Griot.
1: Where's he been? Have, has he
2: even been... Uh, uh, he still hits the second most greens in regulation this year on, on tour. tour. How many yeah. turns has he played? Uh, 84 rounds. Actually, which is more than uh, Morikawa. Okay, he's just
1: been kind of silently... 200 there. to
2: 1 odds if you're
1: hey, you keeping know, track not of that type of bad, thing. actually. Let's look at some odds. What else do we got out here on the odds front? Um let's see
0: says- lord he
2: was born a gambling man <laughs> well that's how the word sandwich was uh, invented apparently the uh, the duke or whatever you want to call it apparently he was such a gambler he had no time to make a proper or eat a proper meal that he ordered his valet to shove a piece of meat between two pieces of bread <laughs> and the sandwich was born so let's talk odds uh, good
0: history <laughs> you guys thought we were just talking about golf here right No, we talk about history too uh, but golf is history, and especially absolutely. when we're talking about the Open Championship, when you watch the telecast, you get a lot of history that game is ever. brought to you. And the one thing that I really hope with this year's Open Telecast, before you get back into the odds, I really hope we get some Peter Alice. Peter Alice? Oh, Peter yeah. Alice BBC is the lead, he's the lead commentator for the BBC. Okay, and yeah. he'll always hop oh, over yeah, yeah, yeah. to the American <laughs> broadcast for at least... An hour to ninety minutes every day, and he is absolutely delightful. He's he got is. the best, not a Cockney British accent, but very low British accent. He'll talk about all of the golfers and all of that stuff. So
1: that's the stuff that's so great. You wake up in the yeah. morning; it's like six in the morning, or not even like five in the morning, and you get your coffee. You sit on the couch, still freezing cold and dark outside, and you get you're Friday night. You noise. might
2: be tuning in at two in the morning, just you know, kind yeah. of keeping it oh, up. Totally, and, that's the
0: best. I don't need yeah. to go to sleep. All right. Finn, give us some odds before we take our first commercial break.
1: No, I mean uh, so obviously John Rahm, you know, most recent winner. Um I can't imagine that guy. I don't know how well he's played in the British, but he's only 10 to 1. So
0: I will say this though, Spanish golfers grow up on courses that are not in great shape and are very dried out. Yeah. So I like a Spanish golfer in an open championship setting. Yeah. He's got Sergio a has played well historically great iron player by asteros played great historically in open championships i like rom i know that it's a popular pick because he's the most recent major winner i i think that's a really solid pick maybe not a high value pick but a solid pick
1: yeah so a guy like him um let's see so spieth you got 20 to 1 um kepka 16 to 1 um Actually, a name that uh, the head greenskeeper as well he liked, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, at fifty to one. Go Cats! Yeah, hey, they're Northwestern. He just doesn't.
2: Man. W- he he shows up, but he just doesn't win. all right.
1: Five of the last six winners here are guys that won who were not winners yet, right? That's true. I don't know.
0: He is English. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. I, I would put money. I would take you know a guy like a Lee Westwood, a Matthew Fitzpatrick um you know european guys they grew up out there they know kind of you know how to deal with the wind the crowds and they're gonna have people on their side they're at home um so i don't know those are two guys victor hovland uh 25 i like hovland yeah good bo- um, good iron player he's a ball striker i don't know if you guys saw the story on uh yesterday or day before but hope
2: he- the sand is better from his eyes Like he withdrew from the open because he had a little sand in his
1: <laughs> eyes oh that was sorry uh if you lost a little money on that one uh, maybe a little <laughs> snake bit in there no, but Victor was back home. I think he went home a week early for vacation and was in Norway and just got a tea time like a regular old Joe um, at some local course and word got out. Some guy was on the tee sheet and saw his name on there and basically was like, wait, that can't be real. Is that the real Victor Hovland? And sure enough... Within like five six hours, uh, there were three hundred people on the golf course uh, following him along. This might be saved for great. our out of bounds section, but uh, no, Victor Hovland. I think you know I circled. Like I knew to go home. He's like you know I'm gonna prepare for this. So uh, he's at twenty five one. So I like those three guys. So
2: for me, I think Morikawa is the favorite coming in. He's not the favorite by odds. That would be John Rahm at nine to one. He's gonna be more middle of the pack at a. 40 to one, but he's had back-to-back top tens, okay, in, in the majors. He's an incredible iron player. I like iron play on this course. Uh, so, he, for me, he, he's number one. I also like Joaquin Neiman, who, by the way, just uh, did not make a bogey uh, the entire tournament. Third time that's ever happened uh, in PGA Tour event. You got Trevino in the 70s, JT Poston. Golf is a cruel game because he did make a bogey in the playoff, but for 70, you know, for... Four rounds, did not make a bogey. That's very impressive. I, I, I think that's a, a sneaky play. My heart tells me Mark Leishman is ready. And then uh, Brian Harmon and Griot, just because they're, they're iron guys, they're accurate, uh, I think I think they can maybe break through. I don't know if they're going to win, but I think they're going to contend. Okay.
0: i got to tell you, this is a little bit out of left field, but I know he really played poorly at the U.S. Open. When Justin Rose gets mm. going well, I think he's one of the best golfers in the world because he just stays steady and he stays consistent. The problem with Justin Rose is that he's really driven the ball poorly this year. Is but he, he still has found a way to contend.
2: So I like him. It's there. It's there. In the Masters, he had that low round, right? Didn't he have a super yeah. low round the Masters? And yeah, he missed the open cut. But uh, the next week, I think he had like a 63 or a 64. So it's he's Yeah, I like that. One okay.
0: other guy that I'd like to point out before we go to commercial is a guy that won on a similar style golf course earlier this year i know we think of pebble beach as being a golf course that is somewhat linksy pebble beach can be very much like an open style golf course when it's windy outside and because of that and because he has a swing to where he can number one cut the ball pretty much on command and number two keep the ball really low I like Daniel Berger as a long shot favorite Ooh. here. Now long shot favorites a bit of an oxymoron. I like Daniel <laughs> Berger's game. I think it sets up very well for an open championship layout. He's, so yeah, I, I like and I pick. think the odds on him are probably I haven't looked at them, Smothers. I know you're looking at the list right now. Fifty
2: to one. That's, that's a long shot
0: that's a good pick i like i mean dude this is buy the a time. lot of
2: burgers if you put 20 bucks on him
1: this is the week to take a long shot right i mean why, why absolutely waste your money on the the big name guys that everyone's
0: been putting money on i mean the british anything can happen by <laughs> the way i should also mention in the field richard bland uh-oh. Oh, oh! fun fact. Good actually, we, we said
1: we weren't going to talk about Richard Bland, but uh, I did hear. <laughs> after- we talked
0: about him last week.
1: Well, yeah, but you said that you, Can we you wouldn't really hear- get enough Bland. I mean, no, we you said we said Maybe we, we should wouldn't just have a segment ever every week where
0: we find. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm going to find a way to work Richard Bland into every show that we do.
1: Richard, friend of the show. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, apparently his home club that you mentioned, uh, club, they received 1000 phone calls, uh, about where someone could buy that hat that he was wearing the next day. So, uh, we found that out from a friend, uh, of the show. Um, I believe it. So (laughs) Richard Bland,
0: let's go. Let's do it. This is the alternate shot golf podcast, a part of the San Francisco golf collective, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, it is time for our out-of-bounds segment, and we're going to talk about some local links golf courses in the Northern California and beyond areas because I think when we're talking about golf courses this week, it's worth bringing up golf courses that are in the same style as the one you're about to see across the pond in just over a week's time. You're listening to the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast here from the San Francisco Golf Collective. Welcome back to the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. We are the San Francisco Golf Collective. Greg Mraz, Andy Smothers, Mike Finn, We're here at the Ocean Avenue Studios on the corner of Ocean and Otsego. Fellas, we're recording this on a Wednesday evening. This will come out in the next couple of days, but even though we have the John Deere Classic coming up this week in Silvis, Illinois, in the Quad Cities, I think the golf event that everybody is talking about, at least in the past week, leading up to the British Open, is... The fourth edition of The Match on TNT, which pitted Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady against Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers at Moonlight Basin in Big Sky, Montana. Rodgers and DeChambeau won, riding a strong back nine to victory. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Boo! Look, so let me say this. I used to live in Montana.
1: Places look beautiful.
0: I Um. thought... That Big Sky, the first time I was there, was one of the most beautiful places in the world. And I had never heard of Moonlight Basin. Looks amazing. I think it's a resort golf course. It's close to 8,000 yards. It is absolutely amazing. Like, Every- this golf course is like your typical Nicholas course, which we talked about last week on our golf course. Segment. Actually, we it? talked about it on last week's Out of
2: Bounds. Is segment. that a Nicholas course, though? Yeah,
0: Moonlight Basin. Is a Nicholas course that makes he also me designed a bit hesitant. another Nicholas course in Anaconda, Montana, called Old Works, which I have played and it's absolutely phenomenal. But that's a segment
2: for well, last day. week I talked about Nicholas course being the most picturesque photogenic courses, and I guess that is par for the course. It, uh, it I mean, it's amazing, it, uh, on TV. ridiculous. I mean, I wanted to hang out there,
1: yeah. I mean, I think. Looking at the results, uh, I believe Tom and Phil were probably the favorites going into that. Um, I think they kept on showing out throughout the broadcast, you know, whatever it was, you know, DraftKings or something like that, you know, who the favorite's going to be. Um, uh, who here they, bet
2: on that, by the way? Just by the way, who here bet on, a, where's was, the hands? it was oh, zero hands? Zero hands. No one bet live. Well, every other that. match
1: Great. that they've shown has been on either a holiday, like day after Thanksgiving, you know, some day where people are off work and actually paying attention and watching. Like this was on a random, I'm mean, not random. It's actually it was
2: random th- as hell. I couldn't believe it was on.
1: Well, I mean, maybe people are taking an extra day off on the weekend, but, and it was on later, I think. So we were on the West coast. we able to get home and watch the final back. night. I watched it. And I think by the time I turned it on, it was already, you know, Tom and Phil were two down I think maybe a lot of like the, the fireworks kind of had gone, you know. My thought was from, it was
2: a recording. When I saw it, I go, was this recorded a couple of days ago? Like, I can't believe this could be live right now because they had so much buildup, right? Well, you can only
1: have so many zingers and one-liners that are for the broadcast, you know, until you actually start diving into the actual, like, these guys are competitive and they want to win. And But the point I think that I turned on, it was already kind of in the heat of that moment. And I was just like... This is not really entertaining. I mean, these guys aren't talking that much. We'll see
0: more of Aaron Rodgers on a golf course than we will at Packers training camp.
1: (laughs) A couple good digs there. Tom Brady was like, oh, he was talking about Gronk at the time. Like, oh, I think I'm with the leader of the Packers, I think. I
2: I will (laughs) say the digs were totally different between Aaron and Tom. Tom was uh, a bit more positive in his digs. And uh, uh, Aaron was kind of like dark and nasty. Like, hey, bitch. I don't
1: know. You kind of go with like two... I mean, maybe, maybe this is a strong take, but you got two posers kind of going against two guys that have, kind of killed it.
2: Aaron's uh, commenting on Phil's belt. I mean, like, Tom I Brady's know.
1: golf balls are marked with every single he's won. And Baller. There, was, there was a tweet that he sent out, something about, hey, what's your handicap? And uh, I think Aaron's like, oh, I'm a, what, 3 or 6.1. And Tom's like, uh yeah I'm like an eight point one no 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 I'm a seven and you're a one <laughs> it's like yeah no I'm not talking about your handi we're talking about Super Bowl rings and it's he's like- an in
2: Tom Brady that second hole I will say I did I did tune in and I was very intently into it and that got super boring I kind of fast forward but that second hole. that was one of the greatest shots Bryson comes up he's the big man on campus hits his three wood on a par uh, yeah, four and then he uh, Tom just puts a driver up there like no big deal I mean when he's on. I'll tell this. I'll tell you this. If Tom Brady tucked his right elbow a little bit, the guy could be on tour.
0: (laughs) Strong take. There was a meme that I saw. So Tom Brady on a par three, I think it was the seventh hole, he pulled his shot like way left of the green, like at least twenty five yards, and Pro Football Focus decided to jab at Drew Locke and Jerry Judy of the Broncos with that shot, like trying to meme it. And then the Broncos fired back, and I'm like, yes! Because pro football focus is just like way too over the top trying to be (laughs) the smartest guy in the room. So I was really happy with that. Another thing I was actually really happy about, Bryson didn't wear a Tam. And I honestly feel like, and I love the Tam, but I don't feel like... Somebody like him deserves to wear a tam.
2: Are you talking about a tampon? I'm not sure what you're. I'm, I'm following.
0: You know the hat that Bryson oh, wears. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's a tam. Was he? That need? is called a tam. He wasn't wearing it. No, that's like you, his
1: signature thing. Yeah, he, he was, was not. Wearing,
0: he was wearing a baseball style Puma hat. No,
1: uh, he wears those every tam. once in a while.
0: He does. He wears wear those, those every for every practice while. rounds. He doesn't wear those for You know he probably had
1: some reason for it. He's like, well, I only wear this during I, sacred tournaments. I
2: will <laughs> say his balls did show. He had big balls on that chip-in on the first hole. Like, unbelievable.
1: That's the first hole.
2: Come he on, don't give this guy too much I mean, credit. it kind of set the tone for the match. It was like, hey, we ain't going No, what set the tone for the match, I... Hell, and Aaron Rodgers did Drilling
1: every single like eight foot putt and walking him in Kevin Na style, it's like damn it.
2: <laughs> is it that much of a surprise that the guy with the best arm in football, if you think about it, his throws has good hands. Hey, you can
1: have the best arm, but if you're not the best winner,
2: no, what, what no, matters? I think I think his attitude was kind of it was it was kind of revealing. I was like, oh, I, I did like the the match because I did get to see a little bit about these guys' psyche, yeah. um, and I could see why he is a pain in the ass if you were a GM for the Packers because like, God, he's got some like. Weird, dark, twisted things going. on. By over. the
0: way, given how good he is at golf, when are we going to get Tony Romo in one of these things?
2: Tony Romo would shit on
1: them. that. Would be. I mean, who are the best? Tony Romo and who's the guy that wins? Actually, the A and A Championship. Tony Romo almost is made that the, name the U.S. Of Open A celebrity championship thing up at uh, Edgewood.
2: Isn't that going on this week?
1: It was. No, it is, I think. It's still coming up, right? I don't know. I
0: don't It's next that. week. It's
2: next week. The, uh, the Ameri- no, it like, happened because like, I saw no, something it's on coming up. Earlier no, it's earlier about next week. It's Steph next Curry
0: and week. Canelo Alvarez. Like, it's, it's this week. Yeah, it's
1: coming up. You got to get like Steph Curry and yeah. Romo on there. Let's yeah. get some real golfers on yeah. there, right?
2: Romo's a real golfer. He actually made it past um, his second, Mulder, second round. Who's the, the tennis
1: player who like set the course record at
2: edgewood last the year us open you got to go through two rounds you got to go through sectionals right and then you got to go through you know your main deal he made it to the second and then he had practice and he had to he had to pull out he was two under par at the time i mean he that guy was like five I mean, holes away from making the us yeah, open he's let's, a real get away golfer from the
1: commercial stuff and let's get some real golf being played out here like i think you can have some real trash talk from guys that aren't hitting the ball 60 yards out of bounds
2: <laughs> yeah aaron <laughs> Rodgers was hitting some uh eyed yammers i'm gonna yeah. put it at that
0: Look, all I want to do is spend a week in Big Sky, Montana, play Absolutely. that golf course every day, have some great Montana craft beer, go hike in the mountains, go float down by a river, Sounds and delicious. just enjoy life. Yes, please. Let me tell you something I don't enjoy, is being on my couch and being on pins and needles, not knowing when a golf tournament's going to end. Mm. The last two PGA Tour events the Travelers in Connecticut, and the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit have combined to go 13 playoff holes. Freak this off. is sudden-death playoff format, and I have to say... The
1: bars love I it. I
0: think that sudden-death <laughs> playoff formats need to be done away with. And here's why. Because we see in major championships that non-sudden-death formats are phenomenal. And, and let me explain this before I open it up to you guys. So prior to 2019, this is how it was. The Masters was sudden death. And that their prerogative, they can do what they want. PGA Championship, three-hole aggregate playoff. British Open, four-hole aggregate playoff. The U.S. Open was an 18-hole playoff the next day, but then they changed it to be a two-hole aggregate playoff with sudden death following.
1: That was the best Monday ever, Tiger and Rocco. Yeah,
0: that's
2: a lame format, two-hole. I mean, at least go three. No, but the Tiger-Rocco was the best day ever. unbelievable. 18 Uh, is great for for our championship. Yeah.
0: So, Andy, you brought this up in our pre-show meeting, and I want to ask to you first and then to Finn— What is the right way to do a playoff in a tournament? Because I think sudden death is the cop-out that everybody wants. But I don't feel like... If you're playing a golf tournament, and you're playing 72 holes, and you're battling for four days, I don't think it's fair to have two or potentially more golfers have the fate of their tournament and... To have millions of dollars potentially, or at least the differential being hundreds of thousands of dollars, be decided by potentially just one hole. I'll let no, you start with that, Andrew. You feel very passionate I personally feel that a three-hole aggregate playoff for a normal tour event is the right way to go. For a major, I would be good with a four-hole aggregate because I feel like that's a large enough of a sample size... And you play the last four holes in that order. You don't play the 18th hole over and over and over again. What happens if you get
2: a tie again, though? You... We well, already saw it. Then you can go to Sun Depth. For me, I just want some uniform standard. All right. So I watched the Rocket Mortgage. I watched the Travelers and it was all over the place. Okay. It's like, we'll play 18, then we'll play 15 and then we're going to do the par three. Give me a standard so I have some expectations as a viewer, as a fan who's maybe a spectator at the course, you know, and as a player, like let's get some standard going on because right now it's literally all over the place. I'm all, I'm completely against all this planning and
1: whatever. I mean, like, all right, the sponsors and they tournament, can't go course to course. It's ridiculous. No, no, tournament sponsors and directors, they know what they, uh, they they've planned for this. And except they,
2: for playoffs, they have planned everything. No, except no, for they've playoff.
1: planned for playoffs. They know when it goes to playoff. This is what we're gonna do. What are the chances percentages that it goes past like three holes, four holes, like at that mm, point? Last two weeks, hundred yeah, percent. Well, whatever. But at that point, you're dealing with. TV contracts and advertising and Exactly, other,
2: exactly look, TV contract, that is a huge I get point of but this. But don't you want to continue watching it? I do want to continue watching it but I want some finality and I want to know what I'm walking into. Let me just put it in perspective This is the only major sport where their overtime is literally decided by the sponsors week of at it's, the no, moment. That's ridiculous When I go to Lambo Field and golfers, we're in a playoff game and we're, we are in overtime that. When we are in overtime at Lambeau Field, the rules are the exact same as they are at Levi's. If we yeah. go to the, the NBA Game. if we go to the nhl we go to every nba every major sports there is an expectation of how the, the overtime care? is defined but when it comes to golf it's literally like i don't know let's
1: just you, play the fifth hole you, it's, if you're going to decide a winner do you think the golfers care the golfers are the ones that are hitting the shots. you think they exactly. care? Exactly. So from no, a, player so perspective, from a player's perspective,
2: I want to know what's happening. Remember Jim Furyk back, back in the open in 12? That was kind of an unexpected thing. You do not want these unexpected things to happen. Okay, You need no. to know what's They're going athletes. to happen. They're professional athletes. So it's just literally a roaring rapid. Just, I don't know, just, just yeah. go down the do river. I mean, That's ridiculous. No, I'm a fan. Ridiculous. I want to know what I'm going to expect. And by the way, when I watched the Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit, it was like 100 degrees. I see these fans How running. Back fun was forth. that?
1: No, no, no. Let's go back. It right, wasn't fun
2: two. because at the end of the day, they was, ended up just going to a it was, par three. No, it they was, go to a par three and they go, oh, let will just play the par three over because daylight's in. Got no, got let's to watch, get a standard. We
1: got to watch. Unbelievable. Two guys go head to head for eight holes in a
2: row. Zero birdies. How no. how,
1: how much pressure was it on every single one of them? Don't you, as a fan, want to watch high pressure, high level golf? It would golf? have been so exciting. It hey, was hey, just hey, as hey. exciting. Oh, but I'm saying, like, I mean, both those guys, when even after, uh, what, what's the guy's name that lost? He lost. They both looked at each other. It's like it was like a boxing match. They were both they respect each other, like no one lost anything on
2: that. You, you can have the same situation, but with like a, a standardized format. That's all I'm saying is the format varies, and it's bananas to think that this is the only major sport. No, we're I, don't literally, we I don't think we're ever you going to get a standardized yeah. format. You have standards
0: and thing. majors. Yeah, that's the thing. We're not going to get and that's bonkers a standardized to format. It's a worthwhile topic bringing up. Do you bring in the
1: chip off? Maybe that's
0: what you're looking for. No, no, no. This is this is
2: (laughs) this isn't the clown's mouth. But can we just get a standardized? We're not going like
0: NHL where we do five (laughs) minutes of overtime and then. I agree. I don't like that either. as much as I love the shootout. We're not doing a shootout in golf. I will say this though.
1: This is a good debate though.
0: In the Open Championship on a link style golf course, if you do a four hole playoff, it. Brings your concentration to its peak. Yeah. Because on a Link style golf course when the wind is up,
1: we saw it Sink and Watson.
2: Sink and Watson. That
1: play wait, wait, wait. So, but, sorry, but Sink and Watson, we saw we were like, oh my God. Tom Watson is in this playoff and he's gonna do it. He's gonna be the oldest major champion ever, and everyone was rooting for him. Like when Sink won that playoff because of four hole aggregate, right? It was kind of a bummer, right? Because you're like, oh, man, like, there's still, what, two holes to play, but we already know Sink's going to win this now. And, like, even Sink kind of looked like and felt like the villain a little bit because he knew that everyone was rooting for Tom. He was
2: the villain. You so, know what's what?
1: wrong with, I would say, the sudden death, if you're going to go that way? Because
2: I mean, You know what's wrong with the sudden death? I think last week was a perfect example. You've got the third guy ever in history, Walkie Neiman. Didn't make a bogey the entire tournament. He hits a pitching wedge. He hit a pitching wedge a little too far, and uh. all of a sudden his tournament's over. No, four holes, that guy's going to smoke him.
1: Hey, you know, got to play well when it matters, right?
2: I understand, but I just want a <laughs> uniform standard. I just think it's bonkers that they actually they have different standards. But you know what? That's just my opinion.
1: No, this is good. I, I think this is a debate that will continue on forever. And that's why, you know, maybe the USGA decided that, oh, you know, we got to get a quick fix in here and switch from the 18 hole playoff to whatever it is now. Like the it's probably like, logistics three things hole action. No, I agree. It's all money, right? Everything is driven by ad dollars and money. So.
0: So as we wrap it up here, and we talk about the British Open, we had our golf course segment last week. We're still coming up with a name for it because we haven't technically mastered it yet. But I wanted to link us in with the Link style golf courses because I think that Link style golf is unique. And it's something that, in California... And on the West Coast, we are able to experience it. Those on the East Coast and the South East Coast, East Courses on the East Coast, they're able to experience it. I spent five years living in Chicago. You really don't get the experience of Lynx golf in the middle of the country.
2: Not a lot of beaches in Chicago.
0: On the lake, there are. Smothers, there are a lot of beaches in Chicago. I just came from there. I will tell you there's a lot of beaches yeah, on t- Lake Michigan.
2: How yeah. was that Santana in January?
0: It's not too good. It's uh, in the words of Mad Men, it's not great, Bob. But I wanted to, as we highlighted all of our courses from last week, I wanted to highlight, at least have all of us highlight, a Lynx course that we feel like is one of those that you gotta go play. Yeah. And if you're here in the Bay Area, I want to start off with Bodega Harbor. Okay. It is located about 40 minutes west of Petaluma. You go up Highway 101, you get off on uh, Washington Street, you go due west. And Bodega Harbor is its a unique golf course. It was built nine holes at a time. The original nine holes, which is the current back nine, was designed by Robert Trent Jones Sr., The front nine was built in the 1990s, and it was designed by Robert Trent Jones Jr. Now, the links at Bodega Harbor are very intriguing because the wind, especially if you play after like one o'clock, is always like three to four clubs.
2: I hear it's one of the windiest courses in the Bay.
0: If not the windiest, I would say that Monarch Bay, which is also a Lynx-style golf course, In San Leandro, it was probably as windy in the afternoon. But Bodega Harbor, the thing that I love about Bodega is that you're not on the ocean until you get to the last three holes. And that is what I love about Bodega Harbor, is that it's a Lynx golf course. Like, Spyglass Hill, you can't consider a Lynx golf course, because there's five holes that are Lynx style, but... You are up in the woods for the majority of the golf course. The best part about bodega is that you finish on the ocean. And bodega has got a great finish. And for those of you that haven't played it, please go up and play it. If you've got a significant other, bring them up there. You go play the golf course. You can play, go go play two rounds, stay a night at one of the local inns, get some seafood. Be romantic on the coast, whatever the hell you want to do out there. It's a beautiful drive. Oh, it's gorgeous. Would you
2: say the defining quality for you of a Lynx course is the wind element?
0: I don't think it's necessarily the wind element. I think it's the blend of the wind, the design, and the view. Because the last three holes at Bodega, you're literally touching the ocean. There's a seawall somewhat.
1: Yeah. They build it up.
0: Yeah, it's a built-up border. It's like Sharp Park, kind of, like how they build that little wall up there. Yeah, so the 16th hole is a drivable par 4. From the back tees, is about 330. You can fly it near the green. I've driven it before, and I don't hit the ball long. Super fun, of course. If you block it a little bit too far right, you're in the hazard or potentially on the beach. Then the 17th hole is about 180, 190-yard par 3. Down the hill? it's a flat hole it's usually straight into the wind so it plays a lot longer actually i may misremember that it might only be like 170 but i always remember hitting like a three hybrid because it probably plays about 30 yards longer because of the wind pattern and then the 18th hole is a great hole it's usually downwind it's about 460 it's a dog leg right you got a ton of room to the left Everything falls off to the right. You get your drive to about 160 to 140, and it completely falls off. You basically have to fly it the entire way from where you hit your drive to the green, which is about a two-club drop down, and you can see the ocean in the background. How's the food out there?
2: How's the food?
0: The food at the Bistro at Bodega Harbor is great. I've actually had lunch there a couple times. I had dinner there once. They got a good variety of beers on tap.
1: It just seems like a pretty cool place. Like You go out there. It's it's not somewhere that is a de- destination. It's obscure for sure. No, I mean, but it's, it's a beautiful drive. You go out there with a couple buddies. You're going to have, you know... You're going to have the place to yourself. It's it's not packed. You'll have your own tea time. There's no pressure. Sleepy um, coastal
0: town. That's totally. what it is. No,
1: I agree. Um, Greg, I'll, I'll go off you also. Keep it with the British Open kind of theme here. Um, a course that uh, was redone about three years ago, the old Palo Alto Muni, um, which is now called Baylands. Um, Boom. It is like, I mean, pff, we played the uh, Palo Alto... Uh, city amateur there last year and it's
2: you were in contention if i, I recall Ah, right?
1: uh, no we i think i think danny might have been more contention than i was um
2: we, 300 through seven no
1: there were a lot of guys out there it's it's a fu- it's a course that you all the par fives are reachable um it's i i don't know if it's fescue grass whatever it is but it's it's firm it's fast there's wind if you go early you know that it's kind of like if you're thinking about the british you know there's Good times and bad times. If you tear off early in the morning, you're probably going to be better than in the afternoon. But the greens are amazing. It's you, It's just such a fun course to go play. Um, it's I. Ne- I never played the old Palo Alto Muni, so I, I can't speak to you know maybe what it was before, but what it is now. It's probably some of the best greens I've ever putted on. Um, That's saying the a lot. You put
2: it on some nice greens. No, I mean these things
1: are. They're it's this they're firm you got to hit your spot they're fast but it's fair i mean if you hit a bad shot you're probably gonna get penalized if you hit a really good one and you put them in yourself in position you're gonna have chances for birdie and it's it's fair for every level of every like golfer i mean for the scratch golfer to the bogey golfer you're gonna go have a really good time out there they've got a great restaurant great bar um it's just a ton of fun. It's right here close by. Um I mean, it, we got to go play out there cuz it's Let's do it. Let's do it.
2: So cool. So, I'm not really much of a lynx guy. I'm more of a desert guy. Call me a rattlesnake, alright? I'm gonna get you. Alright, so how far... Okay, this is a seaside course, okay? this Very close to uh, to your course you were mentioning. The Golf Club at Moffett Field. How many miles do you think that is? 10, 20 miles? Yeah, that's pretty close by. Yeah, so it's on the bay. This is one of the most uh, amazing courses that i played because I had no idea it existed. Yeah, and uh, I don't know Army if you base. like not uh, Nazi zombie films, but I swear to God, there is something in those bunkers, okay? This is a military <laughs> (laughs) course with no military
1: courses are hard right
2: yeah but this one has got some bunkers with like some warning signs where i was like oh my god like i was very glad i was playing with a police officer at the time who was packing because (laughs) i don't know what's in those bunkers but beyond that it's a beautiful course you see the bay it wasn't very windy the day because
1: because it it favors the draw it does i'm a a hooker
2: everyone knows i'm a hooker i'm a huge hooker let's get it over with i cannot play that no but seriously say
0: that at the bar (laughs) tomorrow night
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, you know obviously semantic. Uh, depending on where you're at, <laughs> but I will say the club at Moffat Bay or uh, Moffat Field, excuse me, was one of the more uh, enlightening experiences because I had no idea it existed.
1: That, I agree, it, it, like, dude, totally.
2: It's of like, course it, you, you had did no not know. idea, right?
1: You feel like you're coming in, you have to check in at a military base. Lockheed like, Martin has
2: Lockheed there. Martin like checks yeah. you in. No, they make F-35s, which if you Google, those greens like, were amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, no, this is cool. Yeah, I agree. I remember when I was living in the Midwest. So, for those of you that are familiar, and I only bring this up because the PGA Tour, as we record this, is at John Deere Deere in the Quad Cities. So, the Quad Cities is an area that is on the border of Iowa and Illinois. I worked out there and lived out there for two years. Salt to the earth people. There is a military base. There is an island that's in the middle of the Mississippi River that's part of the Quad Cities. It's called Arsenal Island.
2: Island in the middle of a river. Yes. It's
0: like Huck Finn stuff. Exactly. There was a golf course there that was amazing. It was not a link-style golf course, but it, it felt somewhat like that because you had water hazards that was literally the Mississippi River <laughs> either to the left or to the right.
2: 9-hole and- or 18-hole?
0: It was an 18-holer. Unbelievable. And I remember my dad, who played golf in college, actually played a college tournament there, and I had only got to play there once. And I played there like two days before I moved back to California, and I was told that it closed, and that broke my heart because I loved that golf course. It was so much fun. We could have and I a whole like segment about courses back that were
1: yeah, sorry right. I didn't mean to interrupt. We could have a whole segment on courses that were closed that are just like missing gems. I mean, if you guys got feedback, let us yeah. know your favorite course that closed. I mean, I no just got goosebumps, back,
2: Greg, but. because when you're talking about uh, you know emotional attachments to military courses, White Sands, New Mexico, uh, very similar for myself. Uh, I understand like these courses, like they're very they don't they don't make these every day. Yeah, exactly.
0: For those of you San Franciscans that are listening, and we are the SF Golf Collective. For years, the Presidio was a military course and actually had half of the tea times, at least before like 10 a.m., belong to the military club. That if you ever play Presidio and you are coming up the ninth hole and you see like a fancy looking building behind the ninth green at the Presidio, don't hit it long. That's the military club there. And that was. Like, people don't realize it now because it's a public golf course that gets a lot of play. But back in the day, the Presidio was as exclusive as any golf course it's still, on the West Coast. It's still private, I think. You still
2: got to pay had a lot a of money to get in they there. They, they probably got like had a, a gate golf, back then. You know, know. They, they
1: have a golf simulator in there. It's, you still got to be... Are you talking about, you're talking about
0: the military club?
1: Yeah, no, the building right behind the 9th yeah. screen, across from the parking lot. Oh, it's still there. You got to pay, and there's a simulator in there, and you can go get a nice dinner and lunch. In there. I've, I haven't been in there, but it's got to be... I mean, people who live in the city, right, or in that area. That's our old school of San Francisco, man.
0: All <laughs> right, I want to bring this up to you guys uh before because we're talking about links golf courses and we have a ton of great links golf courses in the bay area uh, courses that we didn't mention half moon bay the ocean course that's not
2: really a links. that's links in name only i love half moon bay i mean i've had the greatest memories there but it does not feel like a me.
0: metropolitan it. golf links in oakland yep uh monarch yep. bay in san leandro those are two golf courses that i think are phenomenal link style courses we we'll do those
1: we can highlight those courses on on some other episodes.
0: they <laughs> i just wanted to give them their due because i don't feel like they get the kind of love that they do and they're part of like a really limited i would say link style golf course profile totally in this area
1: People need to get, I mean, this this is the beauty of British Open Week, right? You get to f- learn and see a different type well, of golf that we play every day in America. And people that don't play golf every week, maybe like we, and it's like people can see different shots. They, they see a different style of golf. It's not the same. And that's the beauty of golf, right?
2: When I think of Lynx courses, I think of Seaside. Absolutely. But I also think of like a flat topography. And when I see Half Moon Bay and I just to circle back. It's not flat. Come on. You're on a mountainside, all right? Uh, But it is name only, but Bodega Bay obviously is going to be flat, right? A lot of these courses are flat.
0: Bodega Bay is not that flat, though. Really? Bodega Bay is actually very hilly. So I was going to bring this question up because we are the SF Golf Collective, and this is what I want to finish because I was debating this question to myself, and I wasn't sure whether or not I could say yes, this is, or, or whether it's not. Sharp Park, which is located not that far away from us, in Pacifica, is on the ocean in parts. But there's a lot of holes that are not close to the ocean. Would you guys consider Sharp a lynx course? And my answer is... Is one hundred percent no? Yeah. I'm
2: wow! Wow! No, 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 no. Mic mean, drop! Jaw drop! One hundred percent links course. There's what four holes that are in the in the in the, the mountain side there.
1: It's yeah. absolutely
2: a links size course.
1: No, no. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I don't want to go to Webster's dictionary, but like the definition of a, of a links course technically right is what you go out and back. Um, St. Andrews, that's a links course. Um, I don't know how many holes out there from Sharp Parker or original from Alistair McKenzie. Still, that is a course that you know they were going through some financial troubles over the past you know six seven years, and it was saved, thank God, because that's a gem of a golf course. Um, and we're losing golf courses, public golf courses here, and we need to save them. And I don't know, it's it, absolutely. I don't know how you classify you know uh, a links style golf course, but you play those few holes along that ocean, you definitely have that feel. I would say the back nine there is much better than the front. Um, that gives it the links feel. I don't know if you can classify it technically so as a Lynx So space, I
2: do think a links thing is more of a, a European-style uh, course, right? So we're on, you know here in, in the States. I think it's it's a matter of semantics. But if you're going to go out and, and and say, you know, Half Moon Bay is a links just because they have it on their title, Sharp is absolutely
1: yeah, a yeah. Lynx course. No, I, mean, we, let's qual- I mean, seriously, let's just... Su- we got to support Half the holes golf. are on the water. You can see the ocean. Whatever gets people out there, man. And cuz Sharp Park is not an easy golf course either. It's similar to Lincoln, you know. It's similar to Glen Eagles. It's a course you got to golf your ball. Find a way to get it in the hole. And that's what golf is, right?
0: I think that when we talk about links style golf, sometimes we make it we conflate it with ocean holes. On golf courses, because when we talk about Lincoln, we talk about three, four, five, and 17 at Lincoln Park, and we talk about holes that just are the epitome of coastal. So I think that Lynx Golf is something that we don't experience a lot of, but when we do have the opportunity to experience it, it certainly is an experience that we treasure for whatever length of time that we're out on the golf course for. That's going to do it for episode two of the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. We've gone over an hour and 15 minutes at this point, and we thank all of you for hanging with us. We've got some exciting developments that are coming along in the next few weeks, so we're excited to share those with all of you. For Andy Smothers and Mike Finn, this is Greg Moraz saying, make sure that you keep them in the fairway, make your putts, and tip your waitresses. This has been the Alternate Shot Golf Podcast. Enjoy the British Open. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, everybody.